The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. I want to start out with a quote from Albert Einstein, who tells us there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle, and the other is as though everything is a miracle. So as a child, I was, um, I would say, a magical child, very much caught up in the awe of life, in the awe in every realm of life, caught up in nature, caught up in the magic of the night sky, caught up in sunsets and and the magic of people and caught up in the magic of animals and the, the magic of how things worked. And as I got older and I learned more about how things worked, In some cases, it helped with the magic, and in other cases, it seemed to challenge my sense of magic. And there was one particular incident where I was at a a conference for our international denomination, and the closing banquet featured entertainment by a magician. And he had one of those booths that has curtains on every end, and he would go, he would go into the booth, and he would uh, have an assistant who would somehow magically be, be tied up in a chair, and then he would come out of the booth, and then he'd go back in the booth, and in a quick split second, she would walk out, and he did all sorts of magic tricks with this little curtain thing, which was fine. The only challenge was, from where I was sitting, there were big mirrors on the ceiling. And I could see how he did it all. It was just every trick revealed and every way that seemed so magical just completely disappointed me. And I was really triggered by that. I really was disappointed because part of the magic is not knowing how they do the trick. And there I I couldn't stop watching. I just couldn't take my eyes off of it. And so I had to process that a lot and deal with how is it that I can stay connected to magic when I know how things worked. And that's what I want to talk about today. The magic, the, the mystery, and the miracles of life. How we can stay connected to that aspect of us, no matter how smart we are, no matter how much we think we know. And so I think it would be really great for us to do something really special today, which is let's start off with a magic trick. Yes. So I have invited a local magician and magical life coach, Rick Finbo, to join us. And I'm his assistant, Rick Finbo. <laughs> so here's the question that I have for us. Actually, a couple questions. Was Rick able to complete that, those magic tricks because he is favored by the gods? Yes, someone said yes. <laughs> Is he able to complete those magic tricks because he has some occult power that informs his ability to pull a rabbit out of a hat? Is he able to do those magic tricks because he has, has uh, more ability to be knowledgeable than you or I do? The answer to all those questions is no. And our founder, Ernest Holmes, talked to us a lot about having a a morbid sense of superstition and how we tend to think that the way this universe works is somehow uh, it favors certain people, that there are certain people who are fortunate 
who have good in their life, who have love or who have health or well-being or abundance because they are favored, they are special, they know some power that you or I don't have access to. And our founder would say to us, that is not how it works. And to know that and to to step into that can can appear to squelch our sense of the magic. But, but I think that the truth is that the magic is really us. And so I want to start with the magic of me. The magic of me. Here's what we know is true. We believe that there is a creative process, a law that some call the law of attraction, that does work in our consciousness, that does replicate in our world that which we are giving attention to, that which we are consistently believing in, that which we are giving energy to, that which we are speaking about and saying over and over again that this creative process moves forward in our life and creates for us. And it can seem magical, but the reality is that each one of us can do conscious and conscientious work in our lives to interact with this law, this energy, to create that which we want to create. Rick can do magic because he has the courage to study how the trick goes, to practice the trick, and then to get in the playing field and show up in front of a group of people and attempt to get it right, knowing full well that he might mess up, that he might not do the trick right, or he might reveal some way that it's done, but he takes the risk to get up in front of people and to live life out loud like that. And you and I are exactly the same when it comes to creating the life that we want to create. It's not that it happens through some magic. It happens because we show up. It happens because we pay attention and place our awareness upon that which we would most like to experience. It happens because we study about how the law works, and it happens because we do our inner sacred work. What can happen many times is that we don't give people credit who have some good that show up in their lives. We don't give them credit for the inner work that they must have had to do to create that. We think that they somehow were an overnight success, that they just, you know, did some special incantation and voila, there it was. But in reality, people who are working on their lives They are consistently paying attention to what they're taking in, to what they're thinking about, to what their consciousness has at its core level so that they can interact in a way that can shift it. And yes, it appears as though sometimes someone does a prayer or an affirmation or has a positive thought and things change. But I would suggest that if you study people like that, a lot of times they've been paying attention for a while to that which they really want to have happen. And then it emerges and it appears as though it just happened like that. Ray Kroc, who's the founder of McDonald's, uh, was accused of being an overnight success a few times. And he says, I was an overnight success all right, but 30 years is a long night. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to be willing to continue 
to do our work. And the, the work itself, the law is not magic any more than gravity is magic. I know that when I lift up this and I put it back down, oh my gosh, gravity keeps it there for me. It's not magic. It's the way the universe works. But it seems magical at times. And in your life and my life, it's the way the universe works. Now, we, in this teaching, get accused a lot of having magical thinking. And there are conversations that we have in courses and hear from this stage about magical thinking. And if you were to go out and do some research, you might discover that in certain realms of psychology and philosophy, magical thinking is defined literally as people who believe that what they think actually impacts their life. And yet, psychology sure leans into cognitive thinking as a methodology for changing your life. So it seems like there's a little bit of a a dissonance there. But in our teaching, here's what I would define as magical thinking. Magical thinking is thinking that all I have to do is get one prayer or say one affirmation or do one prayer and my, my life will change like that. Especially magical thinking happens when we've been struggling or challenged in an area for a long time and we just magically want the prayer to do the work. We want the affirmation that will make it happen. And there's an unwillingness on our part to look inside of us and do some of the inner work below the surface that could allow the law to work on our behalf such that we could manifest the good that we desire. So magical thinking is this desperate place in us that sometimes just wants the pain to go away, the suffering to be gone, the issue we're unhappy with to go away, so I'll just do an affirmation and then I look around and hope that it happened. And while I say every prayer and every affirmation helps, I want us today to understand that part of the magic of creating the life we want to create is the diligence and the willingness to continue to look at ourselves, to pay attention to what it is that we're giving energy to in our life, individually and collectively. In uh, the world of magic, I had heard, and so I did some research myself, that there's a special word magicians use, right? Abracadabra. Abracadabra. Well, that word at its genesis is a a Hebrew and Aramaic word, which means it will be created in my words. So as we say, as we end our prayers, when we say, and so it is, that's basically what we're saying. It will be created in my words. So we could end our prayers with, Abracadabra. (laughs) And know that we're doing magic, right? (laughs) And so it's important to understand that when we are willing to show up, the magic of us is pretty powerful. The ability within us to partner with this energy that co-creates through us is pretty powerful. And we can use it. Then I want to talk about the mystery of of the unknown. Years ago, in a book filled with quotes for speakers, I ran across a quote, and I did look for it diligently for the past few weeks, and I couldn't find it again, 
but it was a, speak, a, a scientist or someone who around the time the Wright brothers were trying to make airplanes fry, fly, not fry, uh, fly, <laughs> fly, said to the world, the reason the Wright brothers are struggling is because humanity has reached its pinnacle of knowledge. There's no more for us to know. We know everything now. We're done, basically. Now think about all that has occurred since that time in the realm of human knowledge. And we can look back at that person's quote and kind of say it was a little bit arrogant of that person or of any person in any age to think everything that is known or can be known has revealed itself. The mystery of the unknown is all about in my life personally, in your life personally, and in our life collectively, acknowledging and understanding that no matter how smart you are, no matter how many degrees you have, how much school you have, no matter how much of an expert you are in any realm whatsoever, there's always more to know. There's always more to learn. That is a, is a human race. We're not, by any stretch of the imagination, done when it comes to what we can create together, the technology that we can experience, and that right this very moment, there are brilliant minds out in the world endeavoring to come up with solutions for the challenges that we face. The height of arrogance is for us to continue to fear the future and believe that the challenges we face don't have solutions. And in fact, part of the co-creative energy of life is that if we keep giving in to fear and fear-based conversations and fear-based perceptions about our collective future, we are contributing negatively to the situation. For some reason, human beings continue to use crisis as a tool for innovation. Individually and collectively, we still bring ourselves to the brinks of crisis in certain areas, and then when it gets really tough, we push the, we push the boundaries of our own awareness and our own knowledge. Think about this in your own life. Haven't there been times when you've been resistant to solving certain problems, and then it gets really bad? And there's no other choice but to live with this very irritating issue or to step out of your comfort zone and do something different. The mystery of the unknown is the willingness to say, I don't know how it's going to get solved, but I believe it will. I was watching Shakespeare in Love recently, and I just loved how they would come across these challenges in the production of the play, and the director would say, well, it'll work itself out. And, and the Shakespeare would say, but how? And the guy would say, I don't know, but it always does. That's kind of me. That's like me. I am, I am an optimist because I have watched throughout my short life how technology has pushed us forward, how solutions to things that we may have thought would never come about came about. And I am an optimist about the challenges we face and about your individual challenges and our collective challenges because I believe that we can and will 
innovate forward into solutions. I believe in the creative mind of humanity. I believe in the creative heart. I believe in the next generation and in their ability to innovate and bring forth solutions that we haven't even thought of. And I will do my part. And I refuse to spend my time in fear of the future. I would rather be a contribution of possibility. Of possibility. For me, what that means is I do my part. I do my part with regards to the challenges that I see in the world. I choose to treat every person with respect, and I choose to stand for the rights of every being on this planet. I choose to be a good steward of our beautiful earth. I choose to take care of myself and my family and people in my life compassionately and with great love. I choose to do what's mine to do, and what's mine to do, I know and will never stop. Mine is to remind anyone in my circle to be courageous and inspired about the future that we share together so that we can stand together in possibility even though we can honestly look at certain problems and say, I don't know how we're going to solve that. I don't know how we're going to fix that. I don't know. But the mystery of the unknown can call us forward, can inspire us. Buckminster Fuller said to us, the more we learn, the more we realize how little we know. And I think that's true of us. And the last part of this possibility this day is miraculous (laughs) woo-woo. They could really call me Reverend Dr. Woo-woo, possibly. Because I'll tell you, in my years of being here, in this teaching, and in my years of being a minister, I have seen woo-woo things. I have seen the unexplainable happen in people's lives. I have seen the unexplainable happen in the life we share together. And what I love about the unexplainable woo-woo is that it takes this intellectual mind that thinks it's the bomb, and it brings it down. And it causes me to step into my heart and into my soul and go, wow, there's a lot more to life than I realize. One of the most woo-woo stories that has happened in the last few years was a number of years ago in 2014, my husband, who's a very smart man, very sweet man, and extremely intelligent, one of the most uh, smart people I've ever known in my life. I think he's a genius. He's in IT. He's very technical. He solves problems left and right. He's a great problem solver and very proud of his intellectual mind. And his beloved sister, Susan, made her transition into the next plane of existence. And he was faced with grieving her loss, and it was very sad, and we were all very sad as we walked with her in that journey. And Ken, my husband, decided to take a class that I was teaching after Susan made her transition. The class was The Magic of the Soul. And in one of the classes, I knew this might trigger him in some way, but I didn't change it because it was in the curriculum. It was a meditation where the students were invited to go within and feel the presence of someone who'd gone beyond into the next realm coming forward and communicating with them. Well, after the class, my husband was visually shaken from this experience. And he said to me, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not ready to talk about it. And I said, okay, that's fine. And we went home that night and 
went to bed. And in the front of our house, we had a, an old SUV parked that was my teenage son's car. And he, he was learning to drive in it, and it was sitting out there. And after we fell asleep, all of a sudden, the alarm went off on the car. And so Ken got up, and we got the fob, and we went to the window. Now, in this car, it's a very old car, and there's a radio. And the only way you can play the radio is once you get in and turn the car on, you have to turn the radio on. And then when you turn the car off, you have to turn the radio off. Well, as we stood in the window with the fob in our hand, I said to Ken, the radio is on. And it had this blue light, and it would shine into the car. And he said, that's really weird. And he hit the alarm, and the alarm went off, and the radio went off. And we went, okay. And we went back to bed. About 20 minutes later, the alarm goes off. And my husband this time gets up, puts on some clothes and shoes, stomps out the door saying some very spiritual words as he (laughs) walked out the door. And I went to the window, he had the fob in hand, and he stomps up to the car, and he opens the car, the radio is on again, and he sits down in the car, and he just looks at the radio. And I saw the look on his face, he was just stunned. And he pushed the button and turned the radio off, and he came back in the house, and he said, okay, I'm ready to tell you what happened. So that night in class, his sister had come to him in his meditation, which at first he thought, you know, being an intellectual was just his imagination. And she reminded him in this meditation of a song that was special between them. Something's always there to remind me. And when he went out to the car, guess what song was playing on the radio? Yeah, Gave me chills then, brings me to tears. And he came back in. And what I remember us talking about was this aspect of him that had to go beyond his intellect to say that the experience that he just had did not make any sense from a logical standpoint. The car had never had the alarm go off like that, and it never did it again. And the feeling that we both had was Susan is okay, she's fine. And she was communicating with her beloved brother to let him know. Miraculous woo-woo. We have to surrender to it, right? It is what it is. In the book, The Questions and Answers of the Science of Mind, our founder, Ernest Holmes, says, a miracle is merely something we are not accustomed to seeing or experiencing. In reality, there are no miracles, for what seems to be a miracle is but a supremely natural law. That's why I call miracles normicles. They are normal. They're the normal experience of everyday life. And just like what Einstein said, I believe that everything is a miracle and that miracles are everywhere. And what, what magic and mystery and miracles do is they help us recapture awe. They help us go from this intellectual understanding of facts and figures and what I see is real and what I can't see isn't real into a place where we can acknowledge an expansive aspect of ourselves that is beyond that which we can see that shows itself to us through what appears to be these experiences. And if I were to take a page from the the book of the king of acronyms, Dr. Roger (laughs) Teal... I would say that awe stands for actually willing to evolve. 
actually willing to evolve. Because what I will tell you is that I don't see those of us who cling to intellectual pursuits, who cling to our fear, evolving. We don't. We evolve when we surrender that, make the intellectual part of our lives a part of our experience, certainly, and evolve ourselves into a place where awe is a part of our daily experience. We choose to wake up and look at the sunrise. We choose to play music that gives us chills. We choose to see art. We choose to celebrate children. We choose to learn new things about life. We choose to focus on and talk about our woo-woo and our miracles and our can't-explain-its. We choose to learn new things about the people that we love and feel in awe of all that we have yet to discover about those we share this life with. We choose awe because we choose to evolve and to continue to step forward into the greater experience of our soul manifested here as us. That's my request of us this week, that we seek out the magic. We seek out the miracles, that we seek out the awe And know that as we do this, we evolve in profound, powerful, joyous ways that energize us and allow us to be part of a global movement that seeks to change this planet. That's who we are, together and individually. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, please visit us at milehighchurch.org. Have a fabulous day.